I'm John Hall. This is Drink Beer, Think Beer, the podcast that gets to the bottom of every pint. And this is Sam Calagione of Dogfish. I think they're they're thinking less about ales and versus lagers as they are about sessionability. You know, the, a big difference from where Dogfish Head's portfolio is today to where it was 15 years ago is by volume, our average beer is probably closer to five and a half or six percent if you look across our volume of sales, whereas 10 or 15 years ago, our average beer was probably closer to 9%. Here are a full conversation with Rudy Chikari of Rodenbach about the collaboration the two breweries have just released in just a moment. But first, this episode is brought to you by Cigar City Brewing. You're likely already familiar with Highlight IPA from the brewery, but have you met Florida Man? The brewery's 8.5% ABV double IPA is back and has been given a makeover. It has a drier, cleaner malt profile and additional hop varietals that boast notes of honeydew and melon. Look for the four-pack of cans of Florida Man, the beer, in the Cigar City Brewing tasting room and on shelves all throughout the country. Or learn more on their website, CigarCityBrewing.com. Get some today and pay tribute to the world's worst superhero, Florida Man. And Drink Beer, Think Beer is produced by Beer Edge, the newsletter for beer professionals. A subscription to Beer Edge provides readers with a smart and critical insight into the business and culture of beer. We talk directly to the players making an impact and report stories our audience has not heard before. The team at Beer Edge offers up a fresh and unfiltered look at the world of beer. Subscribe at BeerEdge.com. Welcome to the show. I'm John Hall. And collaboration beers are a fun exercise. It usually allows two breweries to get out of their comfort zones and try to create something that will create a buzz among drinkers. Well, two of the world's better-known breweries got together more than two years ago to start talking about a collaboration, and the result has just been released. It's called Vibrant Potion, and that's P apostrophe Ocean, and it's a 4.7% ABV blended sour created by Rodenbach, the famed Belgian brewer and blender, and Dogfish Head, a brewery that has bended the possibility of beer creativity. So earlier this week, I sat down with Sam and Rudy to talk about the collaboration and how they approached the beer, the result, and what beers like this mean for the industry overall. And what I was really struck with was the thoughtfulness that went into this beer, that it wasn't necessarily just a, hey, how can we leverage uh, two strong brand names, but how can we create something that will really resonate uh, with drinkers, but while also keeping the DNA of both breweries intact. And so we sat down in the hotel lobby of a hotel in Philadelphia earlier this week, and since we were there to talk about the beer, I started off by asking about the collaboration. Sam answers first, Rudy follows, and here's our conversation. Uh, if we were successful, I'd say it's a, a beer that has all the depth and character and terroir of classic fooder-aged, multi-year-old Rodenbach yep. um, with the brightness, the sessionability, uh, of Dogfish Head's fruit-infused kettle sours combine in equal contributions to the final product. That's what I'd say. No, yeah. but, that, but that's marketing. Ter- like those, are, those are just words mm. that you just used there. Mm. I, no, John, this is, these are not words. <laughs> they are making very nice kettle sour beers, I think, and I, I'm sure that to give more depth and, and to that beer uh, by blending that with old matured beer. So we bring in a natural way 
the bread flavors, the, the wood-aged flavors, and the, the, um, the wood-aged beers. And, and, and the bigger volume that is made in Dogfish Head. Are kettle sours something that you had really thought about much before doing this collaboration? Um, kettle sour is not directly our method. Our method is the, the red-brown beer of mixed fermentation of Southwest Flanders. So this is not kettle sour. Kettle sour is coming from Germany. It's based on a kettle sour Weizen beer or wheat beer. So this is another style of beer. It's very popular here, and you can make very refreshing summer beers with that. Our method is older and is other. It's others. So it's not, it's not a German method, it's really a Flemish brewing method. That goes back to the use, to, to, to preserve beer before the use of hops. And that is more than a thousand years. But when you think about a collaboration or you think about getting out of your comfort zone a little bit, was making a kettle sour or, or being involved in the kettle sour space, was that ever something that you thought one you as a brewer who's rooted in tradition uh, of your own way would ever do? Uh, and, and two, certainly the Rodenbach name, which ha has spent a lot of time on different traditions. Yeah. Um, the big difference between kettle sour beers or lactic sour beers and are not so volatile. Huh? So you cannot smell the sourness very well in a kettle sour beer. For a lot of people, is that shocking. Yeah. They smell the beer and then when they drink the beer, they discover a lot of sourness. Comparing with our beers, in our beers you have a lot of volatile sourness. And, and, and it's, uh, it's another method. It's, a, uh, yeah. it's also a method of blending beers. Young ales by old matured ales. Also the, 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 um, the size of our fats and also the, the fact that we are working with standing up fats is different with lambic beers or with beers who are aging in laying fats, but also Sam is aging his beers and standing up fats. Sam, I'm curious from your standpoint of aging beers, and you, you, you've obviously done verticals in the past, you, you have some bottles that I've been the recipient of in the past uh, that have been sitting around the brewery for 10, 15, 20 years or so. Um, when you get to a brewery like Rodenbach that's been doing it for hundreds of years, what's your takeaway on what we can learn from aging beer oh. I'd say uh, patience is probably the big you know <laughs> having a context of a multi-century year old kind of art first business second brewery and the patience that comes in the blending process mm -hmm. um, is something that I, I learned a lot about in, in this I'd also say as different as maybe the German tradition of kettle sour and and the Belgian uh, tradition of, of mixed fermentation are the the what they do share is a heightened level of acidity and a lower yeah. pH mm -hmm. which I think is why regardless of the country of, of, of origin sours are the best partners for food and when Mariah myself and I, our son came and visited 
Rudy, you know, the, the Brude and walking through the fooder <laughs> forest and, and trying the different blends was amazing, but equally amazing was harvesting shrimp right out of the ocean that we got the salt for this beer in yep. and trying the, 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 the shrimp with the Rodenbach. Like, beer is liquid food, yeah. and bringing the creativity of a chef into the process, yep. I, Rudy, has, that's a very shared philosophy uh, for us, is approaching it as beers, liquid food, but also sour beers are the perfect partners for food. That's right, because the sourness breaks down the fattiness, and this is something, and there is no bitterness in no product. So this is also something that much, much more, much more better with food, because sour, if I, bitterness is hard, much with uh, with food mm -hmm. so now we're trying it john we're gonna get your no, have no. you had it yet no oh my goodness we're gonna get his impressions first time in real time so i love that you just hijacked my show that's pretty that, that that's fun i was just gonna like let it be in the background but like you're just you're just having fun with me at this point we are we're sharing a mic so we are we're having some uh, some technical difficulties here all right i'm gonna come back to this as as we go on Rudy, I'm 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 curious because the Belgian tradition of beer was never interrupted like it was in the United States with prohibition, and it, it's always been sort of a part of life. And and I'm curious about the relationship of yeah. beer and food, and the way that it's evolved over time. And even you, not only being the brewer of Rodenbach, but also a historian of uh, Belgian beer and 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 that brand. How has the evolution of beer and food progressed um, in, in Belgium? First, I will say that's right. We don't have had the prohibition, but we have had the First World War. And the First World War was very important for the beer industry because during the First World War, the Germans had stolen the copper in all the breweries to make weapons with it. That will say that after the First World War, there were nearly no breweries over. And um, then we have had a special law because everyone was starting uh, gin making because that was an easy way to make alcohol and everyone was making gin. A lot of problems with um, drinking too, too much um, distilled products or distilled products. So there was a law, law van der Velde, uh, that get taxes on uh, gin uh, that, were, that was 100 times higher than the taxes on beer, alcohol and beer. So everyone was started again with making beers. But the beer industry was disappeared and the suppliers were disappeared. So they found suppliers in Germany and everyone was starting in the 20s and 30s with making pills. So also pills was introduced in Belgium due to that first world war. So this is also an influence that we have had. Sure. But as far as the relationship, though, with the beer that's on your table yeah. and the drink that's on your table as well, the beer that's on your table, yeah. ha have you seen an evolution? Um, well, I have seen a lot of evolutions in Belgium. <laughs> First of all, um, the, tot the total consumption is going down. Now it's stabilized, uh, but in the past it was much more. Um, what we can see in Belgium, and we are a very uh, interesting country uh, by seeing that, is that around 70% of all the beers that we drink in Belgium now are Pils beers, lagers. 
higher ABV beers. Um, so double Abbey beers, triple Abbey beers, all those products. They, all, they were growing very fast in the last 25 years. And um, 5% or easy drinking beers, not pills. They were much more bigger in the past. Those beers are going very well to, with food. And even more, the sour beers. Sam, I, we've seen that in the U.S. as well, though, with so much of a growth of lager styles. Uh, it's certainly the dominant style in the U.S. and you know now being part of Boston Beer, which made its name off of uh, Vienna-style lager as well. But y you came in early on and decided to go the different route as well. I mean, what, what do you think that that says for where we are in the, the industry right now? Because you know, everybody keeps talking about, like, oh, the resurgence of loggers and everything else, and you guys have made them in the past and you've brought them back up. But is there a, I don't know, what, what's the runway right now for the type of esoteric beers that you were known for making, but also a lot of the traditional Belgian styles, which for a lot of U.S. drinkers were where we started, and... But we're always still sort of on the fringe. Is there, as one of the prominent U.S. brewers these days, like do you see a place for, for that still as well? I mean, I would say, um, and I'm I'd be curious to to hear Rudy's uh, take on this. He mentioned overall consumption is going down. We know beer ascension, some you know, is essentially flat in in America. But the consumption in, at the time was very high in Belgium. Uh -huh. It was around 135 liters per capita. Yeah. No, it's around 70. Yeah. So this is more normal yeah. because in the past it was huge. One of the highest in the world? Mm, not the highest in the world because in Germany and in Czechia they are even higher. Yeah. But still in Belgium uh, it's quite high. Yeah. But um, but lower than before now. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I would say I think there's l l younger drinkers today, 20 somethings to 40 somethings or let's just say 20-something to 30-somethings, that grew up with craft beer. Yeah, let's whip us out of this. <laughs> We're out of this now. I think they're, they're thinking less about ales and versus lagers as they are about sessionability. You know, the, a big difference f from where Dogfish Head's portfolio is today to where it was 15 years ago is by volume, our average beer is probably closer to 55 or 6%. If you look across our volume of sales, whereas 10 or 15 years ago, our average beer was probably closer to 9%. But we haven't sacrificed intensity to flavor or how differentiated and unique our, our recipes are than they were 15 years ago. But they have definitely, our brewery has evolved in synchronization with the trends of more sessionability being an expectation mm -hmm. of today's beer drinkers than 20 years ago. I know like with Fruitage and, and some of the other yep. things you guys have introduced, your, your, that ABV sweet spot is yep. evolving. Is it evolving in, in Belgium too? Yeah. If I compared in the last nearly 40 years, the average in, um, in ABV has grown for all the beers from 4.2, 40 years ago, now up to 6.5. In average, in average. Yeah. So I can say 10 Plato up to 14 Plato. This is also an evolution. Now we in, in Belgium are drinking relative higher ABV beers comparing 40 years ago. Sam, and this is also exceptional because in America 
most of the beers that you are drinking here yeah. are Pils beers. Yeah. Of around. Like yeah. Yeah. So, what you were saying though sort of struck me as there's a market for beer drinkers and there's a market for appealing to certain people who want to who, who seek out different flavors and different uh, uh, different experiences. This collaboration, who does it speak to as far as the beer consumer goes? You know, Rudy can add to it. I would say I hope it's a, a bridge. It's a bridge between styles, the kettle sour style, and the fooder-aged mixed fermentation style. But I also think it's a, hopefully a bridge between generations, you know, we, um, I consider Dogfish a second-generation American craft brewery, um, whereas I consider Boston Beer, Sierra Nevada, first-generation. And the first-generations were awesome at celebrating super-fresh local interpretations of mostly European Still. modern beer styles, um, whereas brewery like mine, second-generation, was more about coloring outside the lines of styles and bringing culinary ingredients in. So I think it's kind of a bridge between traditional brewing and sort of culinary-inspired New World brewing. I also hope it's a bridge between generations, that this beer will bring, mm -hmm. you know, frankly, a, a Rodenbach drinker to dogfish maybe for the first time. That might be someone who is a, a, a wine lover who's in their 50s or 60s and already knows how well Rodenbach goes with food and that will now try dogfish for the first time. And similarly, I hope it brings someone that drinks sequench ale on the beach all day in Miami but doesn't give a shit about, you know, IBUs and, and beat, you know, all the beer geek nomenclature. They just want a super refreshing drink on the beach. I hope that that sequence drinker discovers Rodenbach through this uh, collaboration and how sessionable a beer I, I, that we make I dare to be. say more. I, you say I hope, but I'm sure you are sure. The, in this beer, if you, if you describe this beer, yeah, this beer has a lot of flavor. A lot of flavor, volatile flavor. And if you drink the beer, it's very refreshing. The sourness is, is doable. It's, it's not so it's soft. It is a soft sour beer. And, um, and I, I'm sure this will, will bring people more to beer who are not drinking beer. People who are drinking wine, white wines, can drink this beer. No bitterness, sourness, refreshing, and lower ABV. This is the bridge, I think, we brought in this brew. But there's also a new generation of customers as well. I, I came up on your beer, Sam, in, in the U.S. just by nature of my age and, and, and when you started. And these days, I mean, there are folks who are coming up who are like, oh, dogfish head, like that's been around for 20 years now. God, I can't believe, I, I, I don't drink that. I only drink stuff that's been around for, you know, yeah, for 20 minutes, uh, as it were. How important is historical perspective? How important is it for us to have as beer drinkers, regardless of our age, regardless of how long we've been doing this, if it's five minutes or 50 years, how important is it to have historical perspective in what we're drinking? Um, I, mean, I think it's more important for the beer maker than the beer drinker. Yeah. 
I don't. I I love that beer culture is not as weighed down with snobbery the way, frankly, I think wine culture is. That to enjoy it and be uh, uh, an aficionado of it, there's an expectation that you're going deep on the education part of it and different uh, appellations and different grape varieties. Whereas I think you can be a world class, passionate beer lover, drinker, without needing to have all that knowledge about the, you know, all the secret language of technical uh, production or mm. the knowledge of the history. I think that's one of the great things about beer is it is not pretentious. It is approachable. But yeah. I do think the brewer, to be a world-class brewer, need, needs to come with respect and education about the industry that allowed them to, 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 to become a commercial brewer. And that's one of the things I'm most proud of in this collaboration is I got to tour a multi-century year old brewery from a person who's essentially charged with preserving this mm. this legacy. It, it started not in the brew house, but in, in Rudy's office, learning the history of all the different generations and not just what they contributed to brewing history in Belgium, but literally the history yeah. of yeah. Belgium. Yeah. And, and this that, is yeah. what we brought together in, in this beer, um, the interpretation of the history, the, the also creating a beer that is not a competitor of one of the beers of Dogfishhead, not even one of the beers of Rodenbach. Um, in this beer, the red coloration is coming from fruit, but the fruit, and if you use elderberry, elderberry is not a very um, aromatic fruit. It brings you color. It brings you, it brings you uh, some some fruity flavors, but who are not so volatile. Comparing cherries and uh, and and peaches or those things, not so aromatic. So it's it makes the the product very honest and humble. We talk a lot about the history, and I, I, I brought that up, but for a brewery like Rodenbach, uh, with, with as many decades, centuries that you have, mm -hmm. what does the future look like? The future? Um, I think the future is bright. Why? Because people now are looking for um, history again. They want to recognize themselves, and I see that in the neighborhood of Ruslare, young people from Ruslare, they love Rodenbach more than ever. And this is because it's identity. It's identity, they are looking for identity and they, f they will find it in the beer. The taste acceptation is, is in their genes. So they bring the beer to the cities where they make their studies and, and, and they, they, they share the beers with, with their friends. So this is a way uh, that is more sustainable for making publicity for your own product if people of your hometown will do that uh, everywhere, comparing, you need uh, sales reps to do that everywhere. So I think the product must be supported by the people of the hometown.
More with Sam and Rudy in just a moment. But first, this episode is sponsored by Cigar City Brewing, which is paying homage to its beloved local resident, Florida Man. It's a big old double IPA brewed with bright citrusy hops and an assertive bitterness that just about matches Florida Man's general disposition. This hopped-up whopper of a beer is big in character and guaranteed to sear itself into your memory, just like the world's worth superhero, Florida Man. And now, back to our conversation recorded in Philadelphia earlier this week. One of the things, so when I see, uh, oh, you're going to open up a Rodenbach, aren't you? Someone had to do it. Here, you want to do it in the mic? Yes. But you need the glass. <sighs> oh, no, it might have broke it. <laughs> oh, no, I broke it. Oh, you broke it? Yes. For the record, for the record, Sam tried to open up a can of Rodenbach Classic and, and, me. and bent it. Hold on, I'm gonna take a picture of this and put this up on the. Oh my God, that's uh, well, that's tremendous. Make noise, yeah, you? yeah. I might, can I use your new sculpture and open it? Yeah, yeah. No, is that is that a bottle opener? It's your sculpture. I gave you from a sculpture. Is this resin? Miami. I know, I saw that, but so is that resin? Thing. And yeah, you yeah. can. You have an eight-bit dogfish head shark yes. uh, that you gave to Rod- uh, that you gave to Rudy. It's yes. a sculpture. I'm sorry. It's a, a, it's a digital shark. printing. Yeah. It's uh, in dogfish green <laughs> that you just used to puncture open a can of Rodenbach. Yes. Um, Keeping it classy. Yeah, this your show. It's uh, it's a classy show to begin with. All right. So I have two serious questions, though. So. The first is when I see a lot of conversation about um, online these days about collaborations. Uh, it's Brewery X going to Brewery Y and, hey, we're going to make a chicken parm beer and we bought out all the chicken parm in the greater you know, Pittsburgh area and, and whatever. Um, and then they, they say it's, it's coming at some point. But they're telling everybody what the beer is while they're making it. This beer was two beer, uh, two years in the making, and there was a lot of secrecy around it. Like, I've been talking with you guys for the last two years or so. I didn't find out what was actually in this beer until you were ready to announce it to the world. Uh, I, I, I'm sure that there were other people who were more knowledgeable and more in than I am, but, but you guys held the, the, the cards pretty close to the chest um, when it came to what this beer was going to be. And I'm curious as to why. Like, wh- wh- what's the reasoning behind yeah, that? I will not say that we keep our cards so close to our, uh, to our breast because we declared this beer is made a big part with Kettlesauer beer. In this beer, you will find elderberry. In this beer, you will find the flavor of elderflowers. In this beer, you will find aged beer from Russelare that aged two years on wooden vats, full of flavor. In the flavor of the old matured beer, you will find some bread flavors, some bread notes, normally that we don't have in our beer, but we have different cultures in our vats, and we chosen a, a specific uh, strain for making this collab. So this is, I think this is open. (laughs) And and yeah, I agree. We weren't trying to be sneaky or not tell the world what we were doing uh, intentionally. It's just that we knew we wanted to take a lot of steps and be very intentional 
like the amount of different liquids we sent back and forth to each other. Mm -hmm. And like you said, the amount of months that we put into this beer meant that we didn't know the day we shook hands and said we want to do a collaboration exactly what it would be because we wanted everything to be in balance, which took a lot of steps yeah. of back That's and right. forth, back and balance. forth. Balance is, is the key word of the product. So, so let's talk about that because I'm curious about the back and forth of how samples went back and forth or how different things went back and forth because in, in some cases if somebody does a collaboration it's it's a one-day affair it's That's they, right. they they've nailed down a recipe and then they they do it and then it comes out three weeks six weeks a month later whatever it is kind of thing for for, for the amount of periods of, of time that you all had I, I'm, I'm curious as to how that back and forth worked. I mean, obviously, DHL made a, a couple yeah. of couple of bucks off of you guys, which is nice. But, um, but but how does that work with a long distance collaboration where you you all were actually sending liquid back and forth in the mail? Yeah, but first of all, we have to learn each brewery, um, and we visited um, Sam's brewery in December. Um, 2018 then Sam was coming with his family in March 2019 so the call-up was in our mind we knew what we want to make and every time I brought beers to here he brought beers to Rooselaar and we blended those beers together with the beers we have and the opposite side it happens the same in Dogfish Head so it's a kind of yeah creating something that is new and that is not that has no competitor in the market a lot of cola brews are that can be um, a one the uh, one off but can also be um, a look-alike this is not a look-alike this is really unique yeah one of the, uh, I just I'd add that yeah. I didn't think about it till Rudy put it that way but n not w we obviously have a lot of respect for a lot of other artisanal breweries, not, not just from Belgium and the uh, United States, but around the world. But not once in all these visits and the thousands of emails did any of us, including marketing and sales, reference some other beer brand of, okay, this is who we're going after, or this is who we're em emulating. I, I, we never once talked about one other brand of beer no. in the two years we've worked on this. No. And, and, and not even, uh, and the only thing was what was in my mind, the new beer, the cola beer, was something new and, and wide enough or far enough from what we are making daily. And even Sam had made something that is far away enough of his other beers. What kind of pressure does that put on you as a brewer, though? pressure yeah to 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 create something that can't be compared to something else i think this is not a pressure this is um the respect that the brewer has to do for himself if he will create something that it may not be an imitation of someone else it has to be original and and i think if everyone will make an original beer we will see much more nicer creations <laughs> than we see now. And uh, with, a th with a new brewery opening every day in America, or is it two, John? You probably know the data better than I do. It's yeah. two. It's closer to two breweries opening every day in America. 
in an industry that's not growing at all. There's not many industries that have a thousand new competitors getting in every year, and it's a zero growth industry. And to Rudy's point, it means when someone comes across a great idea, having that white space without fast follower competitors coming in is 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 shorter and shorter that you have that white space, which is again in part when we went on this journey, we never once said here's the white space we need to find. Like one great definition of success for me is this vibrant potion here is this classic? Because right. what'd you pour there? Classic? I, I think I was pouring classic. Uh-huh. Yeah. Because if you I try, have to, I have to yeah. do some. Uh, yeah, you Are you actually asking what the difference is in color? No, no. I'm saying if you try them together, yeah. what I love yeah. is you can you can taste the DNA of Rodenbach Classic in the beer, yeah. but it's its own complete different thing. You can taste the DNA of Sequench in the beer, but it's its yeah. own unique thing. If you try them together, you can get, yeah. get the... This lady, is, this is I like that you're just trying to get me drunk. Um, <laughs> three beers, which which is not hard, uh, as anybody who listens to this show is. Um, after you sent the beer back and forth, and after you had uh, multiple conversations and visits to Delaware and visits to Belgium and visits, uh, how do you know when it's done? How, how did you know when this beer was? ready to be put into package and ready to be introduced to audiences on, on two continents. <laughs> you both looked at each other like, all right, all right who's going to hang themselves? But yeah. One day, Rudy we have to can the beer. So you cannot wait any longer. If we, if we would you're, wait you're longer. You're a brewery who's been around for 200 years and you're saying you can't wait any longer after two years. I'm yeah. surprised by that. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> We have to. You cannot swim if you will not make yourself wet. So. (laughs) Were you ready to swim, Sam? Uh, Yes. So, (laughs) once you have to to bring it on the market, the only pressure we had, we we would bring the beer on the market 2020. So, and now it's here. And. And that for was me, it, there, was, there was a pre-described date as to when this okay, would be. Year. Yeah. Not a month. Year. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and and um, I think this is a, a beautiful creation. Um, if the old beer would be older, maybe the, the, the taste would be m- a little bit o- uh, um, in another sense, but it will be of a, it would be the same product. So um, waiting longer would not be make the beer better so this is why we said it was ready to bring it on the market knowing you both have to get to a event where your adoring public will be there for you uh, i have one more question for each of you uh sam first one's for you is so two years ago when you entered into this agreement uh your ownership structure was different um and during this period while you were making this beer uh you also joined the Boston Beer Company. Did anything change with this collaboration or this relationship uh, given that sale? No, I mean, when we did the merger, you know, we told everything to Jim Cook and the team, what we had on the horizon. They were super excited to hear of this collaboration. Other than, uh, you know, Dogfish had did the first collaboration in America with 
Sam Adams, our Saver Flower beer. And I you, was there for that. Yeah. You were there. You I came up there, and yeah. interviewed us I in the barrel room. I still have a bottle of that in the uh, in the in the cellar. I remember that. What's and that going for online these I've days? Not, you know, I've not I got checked. a kid going to college soon, so <laughs> it's uh, yeah. I've not checked, but uh, and Jim also is way is very judicious with his collaborations. You know, I think the only European brewery that they've done a collaboration with is Weinstefen, which right similarly had not. Uh, done a collaboration in yeah. cent- centuries, centuries. Yeah. so when i told him the story of how rudy and i were working on this jim was like i can't wait to drink the beer and i came up uh i, I took a train to boston for a meeting two months ago or, or whenever vibrant potion came out i brought cans for david grinnell the brewmaster at, at boston beer and for jim cook and for uh, dave Berwick, the ceos and when they tried it they, they they loved it, so they're as proud of it as I am. Mm-hmm. And with our co- with our with our combination of companies, they know that Dogfish loves to do collaborations with artists, uh, what you know, brewing artists like Rudy, but other uh, uh, company artists as well. You know, whether it's Mer- Merrill Shoes or the Grateful Dead. So they knew in a, in the merger that we were going to continue to push the envelope, not just on brewing and distilling, but really unique collaborations uh, like this one. Uh, with Rodenbach, and and Rudy, this was a this was the first collaboration for your brewery. Yeah, that's right. Ha, has this opened the door for other possibilities with other breweries? Maybe. I mean, you're you're here with the with the date that brought you, so I don't want to maybe make it too awkward. But, but yeah, John, I can say we will we will be very selective, not with everyone. Um, there must be a history. There must be. Um, a certain passion, not a certain passion, there must be a lot of passion. Um, and then we will see, but it's the first step. I'm very happy with what we realized, and I'm proud of the product. And it's available now pretty much nationwide? Yeah, it's available any, anywhere you find great indie craft beer, Belgian craft beer in, in America. Uh, you know, we're going up to Wegmans tomorrow to meet with the leaders up there. That's going to be network-wide through them. I know Total Wine is, is taking it everywhere. So it's up to each retailer. Uh, but, yeah, you can seek it out coast to coast. I love that you got those plugs in. Uh, gentlemen, thanks so much for sitting down with me. I promised that I'd get you out. Uh, I'm going to get you out three minutes early. So uh, thanks so much. Are you going to come have a beer with us, John? Uh, always. Okay. Thank you very much, John. Thank you. It was a pleasure to be here. That's Sam Caligioni and Rudy Chikari talking about Vibrant Potion. That's P apostrophe Ocean, their new collaboration, which is now available where most beers are sold. I'll be socking up for spring. You should probably do the same. So the fun thing about this show is the ability to be mobile and to get to where the brewers are. So tell me where you think I should go and who I should talk with. You can always reach me on email at John Hall, that's J-O-H-N-H-O-L-L, at BeerEdge.com, or on Twitter at John underscore Hall. And please take a moment to leave us a review on your podcast platform of choice. It really does help other people find the show. Nate Schweber does our music, Jeff Quinn designed the logo, Andy Crouch put the crack in the Liberty Bell, and Ryan Newhouse is available to talk if you'd like to advertise. You can find him at Ryan at BeerEdge.com. And speaking of that, this episode is brought to you by Cigar City Brewing. Florida Man is back and better than ever. The brewery's 8.5% ABV double IPA has been given a makeover. It's jammed with Pacific, Jade, Galaxy, Azaka, Lemon Drop, and Simcoe. 
Florida Man is balanced by delicate peach esters from a double IPA yeast and a dash of Canadian honey malt. You can find four packs of Florida Man, the beer, in the Cigar City Brewing Tasting Room and on shelves across the country. Learn more on their website, CigarCityBrewing.com. Get some today and pay tribute to the world's worst superhero, Florida Man. And Drink Beer, Think Beer is produced by Beer Edge, the newsletter for beer professionals. A subscription to Beer Edge provides readers with smart and critical insights into the business and culture of beer. We talk directly to the players making an impact and report stories our audience has not heard before. The team at Beer Edge offers up a fresh and unfiltered look at the world of beer. Subscribe at BeerEdge.com. And that's it. That's the show for this week. I'm John Hall, and I'll be back next Wednesday, as I am every Wednesday, for a brand new episode when we will drink beer and think beer. Thanks so much for listening in. Cheers.